Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Well, amen. Good to see you this morning. Everybody have a wonderful Thanksgiving celebration. All right. Anybody eat any turkey and dressing? Anybody eat too much turkey and dressing, right? Amen. Well, we're glad you're here, and we appreciate you, uh, your faithfulness and your presence to come and worship the Lord together. Um, as I was participating with you this morning in, in worship, you know, someone has defined worship is just expressing love to Jesus and letting, you know, letting him know your love for him. I read this, I'm reading through Revelation. We're about, by the way, to finish up our second year in reading through the Bible. And so we're uh, getting ready to start again in January. So if you didn't get on board this time, uh, and this is a great time to start, and if you've never read through the Bible, or even if you have, uh, one of the discoveries I'm having again, I don't know how many times now, I'm not kept up with how many times I'm, I've read through. I'm not bragging, I am 57, you know, so I've been around for a while. And so, um, uh, so we uh, just keep on seeing new things. And this morning, as I, as I read in my quiet time, uh, let, me just, uh, brief, let me just read it with you. There in, uh, in Revelation chapter 7, he said, After these things, I looked and behold, verse 9, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall, neither shall they hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. These are the saints who have gone through the great tribulation. And, and, and what, do, what do they do after they've gone through this terrible, terrible tribulation? Do they, does he say, okay, well, y'all just take a rest over there. Bless your hearts. Have a seat and, and just take about a million years off, all right? No. What does it say they do? He says, no. He says they are before the throne of God and they serve him. Another word for worship, remember. They worship at the throne day and night. Wow. What are we going to do in heaven? I don't know what all we're going to do, but I know one thing we're going to do. We're going to worship around the throne of God continuously. So worship down here, folks. 
is on the job training for reigning. All right? And guess what? Nobody's going to say, I don't like that music. Or, uh, and by the way, I'm not fussing anybody, okay? I'm just giving testimony because there won't be any sin in heaven. There won't be any bad attitudes. Nobody's going to say, that music is too traditional. I don't like that old song. Nobody's going to say, it's too contemporary. No, they're, they're just going to, you know why? It's going to be all eyes on Jesus. All focusing on Jesus. Amen? So, Worship down here, and the reason I love worship more and more and more as I grow in Christ-likeness is because I'm training down here for reigning up there. Amen? And, I, and, and one thing we can do down here that we can do in heaven forever is worship the Lamb. Amen? I didn't even plan to say that this morning, but as I was worshiping with you this morning, I just thought about my quiet time, and I just wanted to share a little bit of insight that God gave me in my quiet time this morning. Now, that's not on the clock, all right? So don't, don't, don't hold that against me. Turn in your Bibles now to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And again, I am so glad to see you this morning. Appreciate you, uh, just uh, your faithfulness. I know we still have folks out with family today and some traveling. And we want to pray for their safety and look forward to having them back. But we're continuing, at least today, I plan, uh, Lord willing, to begin a new uh, a series next week in relationship to, uh, to our, uh, in the incarnation of our Lord that we call Christmas. Uh, and uh, but today I want to share another message from Luke as we have continued in this uh, wonderful gospel of Luke together. Luke chapter uh, 9, and begin. we're going to be, pick back up with verse 10. We included that in our, in our last uh, text, but I want to bring it in again because it certainly ties into to our passage here. Uh, Luke chapter 9, and we'll begin reading with verse 10. If you will, please stand with me if you're able once again uh, as we read the Word of God together. Luke chapter 9, we'll begin reading with verse number 10. And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place bring, uh, belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him, and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and, and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. I want to bring a message from this passage entitled, How to Get In on the Miracle of Multiplication. Let's pray. Father, it is such a privilege to be in your presence this morning to worship you in spirit and in truth, and, and to know, Father, that we are doing something here in our temporary existence on this earth, in these temporary dwelling places called our bodies, 
that we're going to be able to do for all eternity in your presence. And we continue right now in the spirit of worship because, Lord, we, we know that while we will be in glorified bodies and there'll be no sin, we thank you that, that we are still going to be, uh, Lord, uh, finite in the sense of, uh, of always wondering at your glory and learning more because you're such an infinite God. And Lord, we just want to thank you that in that sense, we can continue to experience something here. We'll experience there as well as we learn more about Christ. And Lord, I pray this morning that you will speak to us from this passage. Lord, this miracle of the Lord Jesus, this miracle of multiplication. I thank you that, we, that you allow us to be a part of, of your miracle today as we take the bread of life uh, to, the, to the starving people of our world who do not know Christ. Lord, just uh, uh, speak to us today. Apply your word to our lives. Enable us to apply it to our lives. Help us to obey it. And God, I pray for any today who are in our midst, whether a young boy or a girl or a teenager or young or median or senior adult who's here and who's never truly repented of sin and trusted in Christ. I pray you'll awaken them to their need for you and draw them unto yourself. And be glorified now uh, through this uh, time in your word and through our lives that are changed as a result. In Jesus' precious name we pray and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Karen and I had the, the privilege uh, on our first trip to, to Israel uh, to, uh, uh, to go to the region of Galilee. And uh, the Sea of Galilee is my, my most favorite uh, part about getting to visit uh, Israel. Uh, I think one of the reasons is I've, I've shared with some of you before that, that on the Sea of Galilee, they couldn't build any church buildings. Uh, and so I imagine in my mind that it's most like it really was when the, when the Lord Jesus uh, walked there and served there. And, and, uh, and yet so many of the other places, they have built church buildings. And uh, that's a, this kind of hindersome in a way is, is a hindrance because you think it's not really the way it was. But the good thing about that is that many do believe that they, they probably have come pretty close to marking areas uh, that uh, were the areas. And for, for example, if you go to one of the shores there uh, on, on the sea, uh, next to the Sea of Galilee, there's a tiny little church building there. And inside that building, uh, there is a little mosaic in the floor. Maybe you've seen the pictures of that, a mosaic of the five loaves and, and, and two fish. And I think it's the church of the loaves and fishes. And, uh, and it's, it's, this little church building is over a thousand years old. It's very tiny or small, but, but, uh, but it's, uh, it's uh, marking, if you will, at least near the area around the, sh the shore of Galilee there where Jesus performed uh, this wonderful miracle of the, of the loaves and fishes. And uh, it's, uh, it's one of the most, perhaps most uh, profound miracle. Uh, and because, it, 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 because so many people were touched by this miracle. Thousands of people were touched by this miracle. And uh, it is the only miracle other than the resurrection of Jesus, which is certainly the greatest of all miracles. Uh, it, it's the only um, other miracle that is listed and given in all four of the gospels. So there's obviously, it's very significant for the Holy Spirit to have inspired all four of the gospel writers to include this, uh, this wonderful miracle. Uh, again, uh, this, the time was during the Passover and it was, as, or thereabout, and it was, uh, Jesus didn't attend there probably because of the, uh, the, in the, the feast there because of the growing opposition against him. John had recently been uh, beheaded. 
Um, and according to Luke, the disciples had just returned, as we saw last week, from their, uh, from their first mission. And so they came to him, as we see there in verse 10, they reported to Jesus all about their, uh, their uh, opportunity to, to go and preach the gospel, to perform miracles, cast out demons, how God used them in a wonderful way. And so Jesus, as we saw, and again, this, the, mess, the previous message, was taking them aside to, uh, to, to have some rest. Um, but as we see, soon the crowds found out about it and they, they made their way and, uh, and so their rest was cut short. Their vacation was cut short. Have you ever had a vacation cut short? Well, uh, then you could relate to these, uh, to these disciples. Uh, and so, um, so we find though that Jesus used this miracle that we're, we're going to look at today, we just read, uh, to present, to teach them some very important truths. And I believe one of the things is how we as God's people can be a part of the miracle of multiplication. So I want to share with you from this passage four, uh, four ways we can get in on the miracle of multiplication. The first thing is to be attentive. Be uh, attentive. Uh, we see there in in verse um, 11, that uh, the multitudes knew it. They followed him, uh, and, and of course, Jesus received them. They knew, uh, found out where Jesus and disciples were going. They followed him there, and that happened over and over and over again. And that's why Jesus uh, would get up a great while before a day often and spend time with the Father. He would spend time in, in fellowship and in prayer with the Father. And that certainly says something to us about how important it is for us to, uh, when our lives are so busy and there's so many things going on and so many people around us, uh, then we too need to spend time with the Lord. Sometimes vacations and sometimes family times are, are challenging for that. So you have to make some effort, make some plans so you can be with the Lord. Well, uh, but from this experience, again, we see Jesus was very attentive to the needs of people and, and we must be attentive uh, to several things that are going on in order, again, to be a part of what Jesus is going to do as we see it taking place in this passage. First thing we, I think, to, to, to be attentive, we must uh, see people like Jesus does. See people like Jesus does. Um, by the way, I, I, we, uh, the uh, outline has uh, the major portion of the outline, but not the subpoints. So you'll have to pick up on those and if you want to include those. Uh, Mark, Mark's account of this miracle uh, tells us that when Jesus in, in Mark 6, verse 34 says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. This sounds very similar to, the, to Mark chapter 9, uh, 35 to 36. Jesus saw the people. And, and in order for us to, to truly be alert, we, we need to see people like Jesus does. And Jesus saw them and, and, uh, and, and Jesus saw their need. He saw beyond just their physical need. They were coming to him, because, many of them, because they needed healing. But Jesus saw beyond that. He saw them being like a sheep without a shepherd. He saw their lost condition. And so uh, we need to see that too. You know, sometimes we get impatient with people. Do you get impatient with people? I mean, when you hear, uh, you know, about the things going on in the world, when you hear about the, the crimes that are taking place, you get so outdone with people. Uh, you know, you see people with great needs, but you also know that a lot of those needs 
have been brought on by their own wrong choices. They've been brought on by foolish things they've done. Do you get rather impatient with people? Do you not realize that, that uh, the Lord Jesus knew that far better than you do? And if anybody had a right to be impatient with people uh, and to realize how wicked they were and the things that they were doing were, were, was the result, maybe even many of their health problems could have been avoided, just like we see that today. People sometimes have health problems and you think, well, if you hadn't lived like this, you haven't done that, well, well Jesus knew all those things about people. Uh, and yet Jesus saw them. He saw beyond their, uh, their condition. He saw their real need. He saw their heart need. And we need to ask God to enable us to see people like he sees people. He knew that people did what they did because they were what they were, lost. They were sheep without a shepherd. And we need to ask God to enable us to see people with his eyes uh, in order that we can Go to the second thing, and that is to love people like Jesus does. Jesus had compassion on them. Jesus loved them. And I love it back there in our text where it, where it says in verse 11 that, that, that uh, they followed him and he received them. Uh, the ESV uses the word he welcomed them. The Lord Jesus welcomed these people. Now, you know, again, imagine being with people all the time. A great deal of Jesus' ministry was out there among the people. He was teaching the people. He was healing the people. And, and, and as his popularity grew and they knew Jesus had the power to heal, you know, they were coming around him. They were constantly wanting more and more and more. Uh, and, uh, and, and yet Jesus never grew impatient with them, did he? He welcomed them. He welcomed them knowing what was in their heart. He welcomed them knowing that they were sinners. He welcomed them, quite frankly, folks, he welcomed them knowing that many of them would reject him, yet he loved them. He had compassion on them. He ministered to them. And again, we need to love people like Jesus does. And you say, I can't do it. And you know what? You're right. You can't. I can't. But that's why there is something called uh, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. That's why when we receive Jesus as our Lord, he changes our heart. He comes to dwell in us. The Bible says he sheds abroad in our hearts the love of God. And it is the love of God which compels us and constrains us. And it is his love with which we love others. Remember, for God so loved the world. That little word so is very important. He loved the world so much and, and he wants us to be instruments of his love. So we have to be attentive to Jesus, to see people like he does and to love people like he does by appropriating his love and asking him to love them through us. And then thirdly, to do for people what Jesus does. What did Jesus do for these people? Uh, well, just be attentive. Notice what he's doing here. The first thing he did was to speak to them about the kingdom of God. Again, we see that theme over and over and over again in the gospels. And, and in the gospel of Luke, we see that Jesus spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And, and uh, again, the kingdom of God, the royal rule of God in the hearts of people. It comes by hearing the gospel, by understanding the gospel that Jesus came, that Jesus is fully God, that he came, that he died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again, and that through repentance of, in, of our sin and faith in him as Lord, surrendering to him as, as Lord and Savior, that he comes to, to, to establish his rule in our hearts and lives. And Jesus spoke that to them. Uh, and, and Jesus did that. He did that in conversation. He did that in preaching. He did that at every opportunity. And we see uh, that, of course, John the Baptist had done that. And we see Paul doing that in the New Testament. So again, that is our responsibility as 
well is to proclaim the kingdom of God to people because we know that is their greatest need is a relationship with God. And that is the, the reason there is the problems that we have in the world today is because, uh, because God is not ruling and reigning as Lord in the hearts and lives of people. And he can still change people. Uh, and he does still change people. I hope you are an, an example of that, an exhibit of that. And so Jesus proclaimed that. And, uh, and he started there with, with that, according to, this, uh, to, to Luke's account. And, uh, but he also met their need for healing. He did care about the physical needs of people. He didn't say, I didn't come for that reason. Uh, he did come primarily uh, to, uh, to die and to be raised again so that we could be forgiven and so that we could have a relationship with God and glorify God. But he did care about the needs of people. And so again, that's something that we should do, that we should be aware of, that we, and many times being able to minister to a need, uh, sometimes you may, and we see other incidences in the gospel where maybe Jesus met the physical need first. And there may be times in our life where that's what we do. And so that requires being led by the Spirit. It requires being sensitive to the Spirit of God, uh, to, be, uh, to, to be sensitive to those opportunities we have to meet needs in the name of Jesus. But our ultimate goal is to share the gospel. And, and you know, an, another important thing is that Jesus met this need regardless, regardless of, his, of their response to the gospel. Uh, and so we need to, to do that as well. We need to recognize that, you know, there may be some of those people you're building relationships with, to share Christ with, to be friends to, to meet that need to, that never will respond to the gospel. But you go ahead and love them anyway. You go ahead and share Christ with them. You go ahead and minister to that need anyway. Uh, you know, God uh, demonstrates something we call common grace toward this world. Uh, they all get to breathe his air. They, they all get uh, to enjoy his, his world and, and, and his provisions and, and even family and friends and, and, and the love of God's people and ministry. And so do so, uh, even as God rep, uh, does exam, exemplifies for us, uh, showing his grace, and we should do the same. Do for people what Jesus does. Jesus truly cares about people more than anything. Uh, Jesus cares about the 4.5 billion people who are lost to, in our world and on their way to hell. Does that, do those kind of numbers mean anything to you? 4.5 billion? Billion at our best estimate who do not know Christ as Lord and Savior. He cares even about the one billion people who live and die in extreme poverty or trying to survive on less than one dollar a day. He cares about half the world today that struggles to find food while we, while we finally have so many leftovers, we just have to throw them away. And yet half the world is, is, uh, is starving. He cares about the 26,000 children who will die today of a preventable disease. Jesus truly cares. And so again, we, uh, if we're going to be able to be a part of what God wants to do, we need to be attentive, attentive to, to Jesus and attentive to how he meets needs. And we should also be attentive to the needs of others um, around us. Be attentive, but secondly, be aware. In verses 12 um, uh, and 13, we see uh, how, how Jesus was, uh, was uh, how the, the disciples had to become aware in order to be a part of Jesus' miracle. The Bible says here, when the day began to wear away, the 12 came and said to him, send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns uh, and, and country and lodge and get provisions for we're in a deserted place 
here. You see, the disciples saw more than just uh, the, the problems that they had with their physical healing. As the day began to wear on and, and maybe the, the, the sun was, was beginning to set, they, they looked around and they saw that there were some big problems with this, this large crowd. Um, they were in a deserted place. They, they, uh, they, they needed food, they needed shelter, and there wasn't enough available. So, so they did something that I wouldn't advise any of us to do. They acted as Jesus' advisors. You ever tried to give advice to God? Uh, come on, be honest about it. You probably have. I think, God, you should do it this way, okay? As if the creator of the universe needed your advice. Well, that's exactly what uh, these uh, disciples did. They said, send them away. Um, send them away. And, uh, and, and uh, because, you know, we don't have enough food for them. They need shelter. We don't have what, what it's going to take to take care of them. But again, God doesn't need our, uh, your, our advice. Jesus is God. He didn't need their counsel. And so he did the right thing, of course, as he always does. He ignored their counsel. And he said to them, you give them something to eat. Now, we're told that there are 5,000 men and women. Don't be offended. That was just common among the culture that day. They, these are, this is literally men. This word for men means men. And so that was just a way of kind of estimating how many there were there. So, so conservatively, there were probably fifteen to 20,000 people here, including women and children. That would be like, I guess, something like feeding the city of Millington, right? Imagine, all together in one place. Well... Is, is this not a pretty impossible situation? This many people together. And, uh, and so they said, you know, we need to get rid of these people. They're going to be hungry and we're gonna, not going to have anything to, to feed them. And so Jesus says, you feed them. Now, why would Jesus have them or tell them to do something that was impossible? Why would he tell them to do something that they could not with, within their resources do? Well, I want to remind you that he does the same thing for us. And here, here's why. First of all, he, he, does, he calls on us to do the impossible to make us aware of two realities. The first reality is our total inadequacy. Our total, complete human inadequacy. We simply cannot do it. And that's exactly where they were. Well, you know, they, they had done a res the, the research, okay? Uh, and, uh, you know, there were all kinds of, even among this group of 12, they had all kinds of folks together, uh, guys together with different group abilities. And obviously, Philip was the bean counter. He'd already, when the, the other uh, uh, gospel accounts tell us that, you know, they'd done this research and uh, the only thing they had come up with was five loaves of bread and two fish. And uh, the, the, these gospels don't, but John tells us that that was the little boy. We know this story best by the, the lad, the little boy, um, who had, who had uh, been willing to share his lunch. He don't know if his mother and dad were with him that day or any of his siblings, but, uh, but he packed a lunch and five loaves and two fishes. And again, don't, you know, you might th be thinking about Captain D's or something, okay? But, but most likely, you know, these were uh, dried or pickle fish and probably not very large, like maybe a little bigger than sardines. And the loaves of bread, you know, you may be thinking, you know, uh, you know, somewhere like, oh, I don't know, who has really good rolls? Uh, Red Lobster or something maybe, okay? Well, you know, more likely they said they're kind of like wafers. I mean, there's, there's not that much to them, okay? Well, you know, a little boy packed his lunch, but this is all they could come up with. 
And, and so, you know, again, this is just not enough. You know, uh, Philip basically says in John, you know, what is that among so many? It isn't very much. It's, it was barely enough for this little boy. And, and you're talking about, you know, maybe 15, 20,000 people here. And then he says, unless we go buy food. Well, you know, that presents a problem because again, this, it would take, I think one of the gospels indicates probably seven months wages. I mean, to try to provide for this many people and they don't have that kind of money either. And so they got a serious problem on their hands and, and they're totally inadequate. I mean, the, the sum, the sum line here is this, we can't do it. We can't do it. Have you ever faced that kind of situation in your life? Are you facing that kind of situation in your life right now? I'm inadequate. I can't do it. Are you? Well, you know what? So am I. So are we. That's not bad. You see, God puts us and allows us to be in those kind of situations. And he even tells us, commands us to take care of the situation knowing we can't do it. And uh, that's not cruel on his part. You see, because we can't, but he can. Amen? We can, he can. I can do all things through Christ, we're told in Philippians chapter 4. So this uh, makes us aware of our total inadequacy, but secondly, it makes us aware of his total sufficiency. His total sufficiency. You see, if we can do it, it doesn't require faith. And we have a human tendency in and of ourselves that if we can do it, we'll try. Right? Don't we? We say, you know, Lord, I can handle this. Well, in reality, he doesn't want us to live that way. He doesn't want to say, Lord, I'll take care of this and I'll call on you when I need you. He wants us to realize that we always need him. He wants us to realize he is our life and he is our sufficiency. And life is not intended to be lived in our own resources and our own strength. It is intended to be lived totally in dependence upon him. That's why we read in scripture, Jesus said in John 15, without me, you can do nothing. And that's how he wants us to live life, relying on his total sufficiency. So it, it was impossible humanly, but that since that word is not in God's vocabulary, then it is possible with God. They couldn't, but God could. And, um, you know, again, we read in, in John that John says Jesus himself knew what he would do. You see, Jesus always has a plan. Amen. Jesus always has a plan. And that's why we need to look to him for his direction. And even when he tells us to do something, then we look back to him and say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? And how do you want me to do it? What, what, what direction are we, we going here? So go to him in prayer. Ask him to show you how to pray, first of all. One of the important things I think it's important to know how to pray to do is to how to pray. How should I pray in this situation, Lord? What should I direct me to your word and how you want me to pray in this situation? And then, uh, again, keep waiting in prayer, keep trusting, keep rejoicing, keep obeying. Jesus said in Luke 18, 27, but, but he said, what is impossible with man is, is possible with God. Jesus said this, of course, in regard to the impossibility of a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. It is, it is impossible with man, but it is possible with God. And again, things were looking right for a miracle. And, and we're going to see he's about to bring that about. How would you define a miracle, by the way? Uh, someone has defined a miracle as God doing the humanly impossible. Think about what God has done in history. 
from the very first thing we read about in Genesis 1, creation. Would you not say that creation was humanly impossible? Absolutely. Then you, then you speed forward to, uh, again, I believe uh, I mentioned resurrection earlier, also the great, the great uh, miracle, some say the greatest of the incarnation, God becoming man, fully God, fully man at the same time. That's humanly impossible. It is with man, but not with God. Again, think about the cross. God on the cross, Jesus becoming sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Humanly impossible, but not with God. It's possible with God. The resurrection of Jesus, humanly uh, impossible. Again, God saving hell-deserving sinners. Humanly impossible, but not impossible with God. Over and over again, those are miracles that only God can do. And I'm so grateful that by His grace, He's allowed us to get in on it. Amen? And that's the way life is, is intended to be lived. Um, uh, God says, uh, Major Ian Thomas said, God says to us, you can't. I never said you could. I can. I always said I would. And that's how God wants us to live our lives in total dependence on him. Be aware of our total inadequacy and of his total sufficiency. Number three, to get in on the miracle of multiplication, be available. Be available. Again, um, Jesus has told them now uh, to give them something to eat. They told him, you know, we can't do it. So, uh, so how, how can we be available to the Lord and get in, on, get in on his miracle of multiplication? First of all, give what you have. Give what you have. You know, it's true that the little boy didn't have very much to offer, but he gave what he had. He gave it, obviously, willingly. And, you know, Jesus doesn't ask us to give what we don't have, just what we do have. Some people say, you know, uh, my little bit doesn't matter. Uh, they say that in regard to their, uh, their giving uh, to the Lord and to his work. My little bit doesn't matter, but, you know, give it anyway. Give what you have. This little boy not only gave what he had, he gave all he had. And that's really what we're all to do. Because as believers, we don't own it anyway. He owns it all. And we're just stewards of what he's, he's allowed us to possess. Um, but also give it in obedience. Um, again, we could use many illustrations. The Macedonian believers didn't have much to give, but they gave what they had. Second Corinthians 8, we studied this passage a while back. It says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but gave themselves, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us, by the will of God. They gave themselves to the Lord first. So give what you have. That's what this little fellow did. He gave what he had, and that's what we're to do. And, and don't think about how little or insignificant it, it is, because again, uh, what's significant to, to the God who created everything? Give what you have, but then second, serve where you are. Um, and uh, this is where we, we come in. Not only do we see uh, this little boy that w John tells us Andrew brought to Jesus, but also serve where you are. Uh, the disciples became a part of this multiplication miracle. Again, it began there with, with Andrew bringing the young man to Jesus with his, his bread and his fish. Uh, and uh, it, God also used them. Lord Jesus told them to organize the groups into 50. That ought to make uh, uh, folks happy to know uh, uh, that, uh, that God is a God of organization. And that was a whole lot more efficient, better way to serve the people. They put them in, put them in groups. 
and uh, had them sit down. And, uh, and then finally, they served the food as Jesus multiplied uh, this. They, they, they didn't perform the miracle, but they were a part of the miracle. Isn't it, isn't it wonderful that God allows us to be a part of what he does? I mean, you think about the great joy we have of serving him, of taking the gospel, that which, is, that which alone can change lives. It's the power of God to salvation. And we're just sinners saved by grace, still deserving of hell. But God in his grace allows us to be instruments in taking the gospel to people. What a great, great privilege that God uses people. So this morning, I want to ask you, are you available to the Lord? Have you surrendered yourself to the Lord, made yourself available to Him? Give what you have and serve where you are. Now you say, well, Pastor, I, you know, there's really not much I can do. I, I, uh, you know, I'm, uh, uh, you know I'm, I'm not as in good a health as I used to be, or I can't go as I used to go, and I can't do what I used to do. That's why we said, give what you have. Serve where you are and just say, Lord, I'm available. Use me. Whatever you want to do, there's a place for you, dear friend. And, and I believe with all of my heart that if you make yourself available to the Lord, he's going to say, I'll, I'll use you. You know, we have some folks sometimes that say, well, you know, I, I, can't, uh, I can't work in the nursery anymore. I, I, can't, uh, I can't pick those children up. Well, you know what? If you can sit in a chair, somebody may can bring a baby to you and you can hold that baby. And you know, just having a second person in the room is very important. That's that's a, that's a law today. If you're available, in, in just to be available and to serve and say, here am I. And, and you know what? God will use you. And if you'll just make yourself available to him, give what you have and, and serve where you are. God has a wonderful way. In fact, I like that song. It's called Just Ordinary People. It goes, just ordinary people. God uses ordinary people. He chooses people like you, like me and you, who are willing to do as he commands. God uses people that will give him all, no matter how small your all may seem to be, because little becomes much as you place it in the master's hand. And that's exactly what we see happening in this miracle. Be available, and then fourth and finally, be amazed. Be amazed. To be a part of God's miracle of multiplication, be amazed. First of all, be amazed at his power. Look, look what he did there. Verse 16, he says, He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. How amazing, the power of God. He took the little boy's lunch. First of all, again, God would take something that is so seemingly insignificant. Um, did, did, did Jesus need his gift? Did he need those five loaves? Nah, Jesus could have turned the stones uh, into bread and fish. He, he could have just brought it out of thin air. And God doesn't need us. He doesn't need our resources. He doesn't need our, our talents. After all, he gave them to us. He doesn't need those things, but he still takes them, doesn't he? He still receives them. What a blessing that God allows us. So be amazed at his power that he can take such insignificant things, even ourselves, and use that for his glory. And, and, uh, and again, uh, he's chosen to use us. And again, that is a, a wonderful indication of his grace uh, because people are his program and people are his plan. So be amazed at his power. Imagine what it was like that day 
watching that miracle unfold. I mean, this was, this was like, a, this was creation. This was a miracle of creation as he was taking this and feeding multitudes of people. It reminds me of one of my favorite passages, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. Be amazed at his power. But secondly, be amazed at his provision. Again, just see what Jesus did. He took the gift. He blessed it. He began breaking it and multiplying it and distributing it among the crowd to the disciples. Uh, someone said, without Jesus, all this little boy had was five loaves and two fish. But with Jesus, he had a miracle. And he gave it, and the Lord provided. He met the need of all these people. And notice it says here in this passage that in verse 17 that they ate and they were filled. The word filled here, you may have the word, uh, it may have translated in your Bible, satisfied. And the, the Greek word here is used to speak of animals who gorged themselves. Some of you can relate to this from Thanksgiving, right? I mean, you know what it is? Well, that's exactly the meaning of this word, to gorge yourself. And uh, you said on, on five loaves, a little, bitty, a little bit better than crackers, and two little bitty fish? Yeah. You know what? Because uh, Jesus, just like Jesus' wine that was perfect over there in John 2, uh, Jesus' food was perfect too. Uh, it, 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 it was a, it, that in and itself was a miracle. And what a picture that is of Jesus, who is the bread of life. John 6 tells us that Jesus performed this miracle uh, to demonstrate to the people that he is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of God that comes out of heaven that satisfies us. And Jesus was giving them a picture of himself, just as he did to the woman at the well, who's the, the living water. And when you receive him, you never thirst again. And when you receive Jesus, you're satisfied. You're filled. You don't need anything else. Jesus is sufficient for you, dear friend. And if you haven't come to understand that and know that and believe that, please, I plead with you to recognize that Jesus really is sufficient in him lives full, is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Scripture says, and you are complete in him. He's all you need. And notice not only that, but the Bible says here that, that, that uh, the, the 12 baskets of leftover fragments, how many disciples were there? 12. They were taken up by them. So the, even those who were the, the distributors, if you will, the ones who were distributing the bread, they too received and were, were blessed uh, as a result of that, uh, the little boy, of course, got fed in the process as well. And, and so uh, what, a, what a wonderful blessing that even those who gave and those who were tools were also blessed. That little boy got the biggest blessing of all. He never dreamed that day that what that little lunch he took was going to feed so many people. Can you imagine him t trying to tell people about that miracle? Uh, even I, can, I sort of picture him growing old one day and becoming a granddad and the kids saying, Papa, Papa, tell us the story again about how Jesus fed the thousands of people with your little two fish and your five loaves. Tell us that story again. Because again, it was so amazing, his wonderful provision, how God used him. What a blessing it is to be in on God's 
miracle of taking the, the bread of life, the Lord Jesus, and giving that to others. And then third, be amazed at his plan. Once again, I remind you, the disciples were used to distribute the food. People today are starving. The problem literally with food today is not that there's not enough food. You've heard this before. There's enough food to feed everybody in the world. I told you about half the world being hungry. Is the problem that there's a shortage of food? No, there's not a shortage of food. You know that at your house, right? There's plenty of food, but the problem is distribution. Folks, the gospel is sufficient, amen? There's plenty of gospel for the whole world. The problem is not distribution. And the problem is not food. The problem is distribution, getting the, the bread of life to people. And praise God, that's where we come in. That's the plan. That's what we should be amazed at today is we get in on the plan. We're the plan today. Uh, I was grateful. I know a lot of people are discouraged, uh, and I didn't read a whole lot about it, but a lot of people are discouraged about the situation with the International Mission Board and the, many of the missionaries coming home and, and, and the retiring missionaries. Does that mean that, uh, that, that, that the gospel is no longer going to go? No, dear friend, God's, still, God's plan has not been put on the shelf. We still must go. God still has a plan. God's not caught off guard. We must, but we are God's plan for getting the gospel uh, to the world, and the, the wonderful bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, the Great Commission is God's wonderful plan for multiplication. What a beautiful picture of the process of multiplication that God uh, uses us as we come to know Christ and we share the gospel, the message of the gospel with people, and they see their need for Christ and, and their sinful condition and they uh, see Jesus is, is the Lord and the Savior and they repent of their sin. They place their faith in Christ and then they become a disciple as they are discipled and they come to realize their need to go and make disciples. Look at it in the Gospel of Acts. That's exactly what happened as the Gospel uh, went out and, and people received the Gospel and people and disciples began to be multiplied and then even churches began to be multiplied as the Gospel uh, message went out and people obeyed the Great Commission. Well, friends, we have that responsibility today to obey the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ, taking the bread of life to the starving people of this world who desperately need him and will go out into eternal hell unless someone tells them about the bread of life. Well, then that's our responsibility. That's your responsibility, child of God, because you've received the bread and now it's your job to take it to others and again, to make and to multiply disciples. Are you amazed today at Jesus' power? Are you amazed today? Don't ever get over being amazed. Are you amazed at his provision and are you amazed at his plan and that he has given you the privilege of being an ambassador for himself and getting in on his plan? Well, one might assume that after such a wonderful miracle that many would respond to the gospel and come to faith in Christ. But you know, we haven't looked at this yet and we'll look at it more later. But on the next page in my Bible in Luke chapter 10, verse 13 Notice a warning that the Lord Jesus gave. He said, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For the mighty works which were done in you, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. 
but it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The response of these people, as we read about it in John 6, was to try to force Jesus to be the political Messiah for which he did not come. And Jesus, the Bible says, escaped from them out of the crowd uh, because that was not why he came. He didn't come to be a political Messiah. So when they rejected that when he would not be their king as they tried to force him to be in, in a political sense. They wanted someone who could, uh, who could heal all their diseases and could put food on their table, just like a whole lot of people want for, for a political leader today and a president. When they wouldn't do that, then uh, they rejected him. But Jesus gave them warning, that little town of Bethsaida, someone said probably 3,000 people, he said, it's going to be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon, those wicked, wicked cities. Why? Because of the great miracles that they had seen, even the, one of the greatest miracles he ever performed. Many of those people that day who were filled physically to satisfaction never knew what it was to surrender to Jesus as their Lord and never knew what it was to receive him as the bread of life. And Jesus said, you, because you've been given so much light, there's going to be greater condemnation upon you. Yes, in hell. Friend, is there any country in the world that has been given more light than the United States of America? My mother, who is a native of Georgia and moved here from Alabama, you know what her first impression of, of, of Memphis was when she came to this area? I've never seen so many churches. I've never seen... So many churches. That's why when we turn on the news at night, all we hear is good news, right? No. We live in a very wicked place, don't we? This city has been given much light. The city of Millington has been given much light. And dear friend, Lucy Baptist Church has been given much light. People who attend in these services week after week and hear the gospel message of Jesus, you've been given much light. And yet, when you harden your heart against the Lord God and you say no to Him, I believe Scripture is telling us and warning us here that yes, there's even greater judgment in hell for those who hear the gospel week after week after week after week and harden their heart against Him. Oh, dear friend, Jesus is saying, woe to you. Woe to you. Woe to you. You've been given the privilege of seeing and receiving light. What are you going to do with it? Do not harden your heart. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used His Word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, His death for you on the cross, and His resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.